Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Max Tillman. We're here every week with a panel of guests from the world of business and beyond to take a look at the numbers that make up the news. This week, once again, our panel comes to you virtually, but no matter where you are, we'll still be broadcast right across Australia on the community radio network and straight into your own device wherever you are in the world via podcast. Well, how safe is your super? And if you already do know the answer, have you had thoughts about cashing out? One of the victims of the COVID-19 economic crisis has been Australia's retirement industry, with over $3 trillion worth of assets currently swirling around superannuation funds across the country in a state of panic. Around 620,000 Australians have already made inquiries about the federal government's new super release program. But here's the kicker. Applications haven't even officially opened. Those kick off on April 20th. It's a complicated industry, and to help understand how this system works and explore some of the murkier aspects of funding retirement is our panel of guests. Professor Ron Bird is an emeritus professor from the Australian National University. Russell Mason is head of superannuation at Big Four member Deloitte Australia. And Melissa Burks is the head of advocacy for the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees. Thank you all for joining us. The big news at the moment surrounding superannuation is the announcement by the ATO of the super release package. So if you've been financially affected by COVID-19, you can access up to $10,000 of your superannuation in 2019-2020 and a further 10 grand in 2020-21. Now that's big news for a lot of Australians who are itching to cook the nest egg and cash out early. And as of April 9th, over 620,000 Australians have applied for the plan. So how has this affected the super industry internally? Uh, I can certainly talk to that initially. It's uh, Mel here. I guess one thing to note, uh, 620,000 people have registered early interest, but um, that may not mean they actually go through with applying. And I think really what we all recognise that these are unprecedented times and that the super industry is certainly stepping up to support members who find themselves in financial difficulty. But uh, the Treasurer himself did mention on the weekend that when those announcements were made, originally some of the additional funding arrangements had not been put in place. So, for example, job job keeper. Um, So what we would say to people who are thinking about looking at their super is have a look and see what other benefits are also available to you first and um, perhaps look at your super as a last resort because uh, although you can access it, it doesn't necessarily mean you should. I'd agree totally, Max, with what Melissa has said. People need to look at their overall financial situation, although I can fully understand um, with the pressures of, of paying for day-to-day living expenses and if they've become unemployed, why people would want to access their superannuation. And for many people, that may be the right decision um, if other avenues um, don't come up with an adequate financial solution. I think the important thing for people to realise is the value of compounding of superannuation. So to take effectively up to 20000 out of the system now will have a significant impact on their long-term retirement savings. So by all means, if you're a 30-year-old today and you need the money, then no one would criticise a person for drawing the money out. But perhaps once we get through this COVID-19 crisis, people should consider what they could do to effectively pay that money back into the system to try and put them back where they were before the announcements were made. So 
in 12, 18 months' time when things are back on an even keel and, and we're back to normal, perhaps consideration should be made if you've taken out 10000 as to how you could make additional voluntary contributions, for instance, to make up that extra $10,000 back into your super. It's not actually a $20,000 decision. It's a much bigger decision than that. So some of the modelling that's been done, say, for example, for someone who's 25, um, if they take out $20,000 now, that actually is could be equivalent to $120,000 when they retire. So it's not a $20,000 decision. It's a $120,000 decision. So I guess that's what we're saying is, is absolutely if it's it's something that you need and you are in, in those dire straits, we appreciate it. But if you have some flex and you may have other sources of income, either from government or otherwise, just think about the longer term impact and as mentioned you know you can think about um, making that up later but it is always um, it's, it's always a bit more difficult once the money's out to, to discipline yourself to put it back in. Do you think people understand the gravity of the situation when it comes to removing funds from your super and do you think that people are going to exercise caution? I think uh, you'll find there's a mix of, of, of all of those. In, in any situation, you get people who will do any range of things. But I guess part of the reason we're having the conversation today is to exactly do that, point out the potential long-term impact of those. Now, of course, there are immediate financial concerns. And as I, we said before, when this was announced, some of those additional um, support mechanisms were not in place. So certainly JobsKeeper and some of the other um, government benefits will be able to help quite a lot of people. So what we would hope is that there means that less people people feel the need to access their super. And again, although 600,000 people have expressed an interest, they haven't actually registered to take their money out. It's just an early uh, indication of people who might want to consider it, but given um, their chance to consider the other things that might be available to them and money that might be coming through to them from their employer through JobsKeeper, other I suspect that a number of people will say, okay, I don't actually need I don't actually need to take the money out of my super. But again, if they have to and they need to, we totally understand it and we are there to support them. But we would ask them just to, to think carefully about it because as we've both mentioned, it does have a longer term impact. I fully agree, Max, with, with Mel's statement there. And I think it's important if people can to try and get some independent advice that may be going to Centrelink it may be talking to a financial advisor just to see, as both you and, and Mel have suggested, what other avenues are open to them before they touch their super. Certainly, if that's the only option, then you could not criticise someone if they need the money. But getting some independent advice, uh, social security benefits, job keeper, other entitlements that an individual may be eligible for, are for most people quite complex and probably quite unfamiliar to them. So getting that independent advice is probably something they should try and do sooner rather than later. Dr. Bird, trust is a very valuable currency uh, in the retirement industry. You've done obviously a wealth of research on this, but I'd like to raise one particular study. In 1983, you were one of the co-authors of a study into the performance of Australian super funds from 1973 to 1981. Um, now, one particular thing I find interesting about this study is that overall, the performance over the total period studied for the funds in questions was quoted by you and your fellow authors as being overall poor. Now, since 1983, obviously, an enormous amount of things have changed about the way that we work, the way that we live, and the way that we retire. Has the super landscape changed along with these social factors, or do you think that some of the practices that these super funds still employ are quite archaic for the times that we live in? 
investing is a zero-sum game. If you win, I have to lose, right? So all we're doing effectively is competing against each other for a larger section of the pie. And the net outcome is that you're trying to get the market return. Things are really, on that score, really can't improve. Um, as I said, some funds will do better, others will do worse. The majority of the investment performance, not only in super, but across the world, uh, the market's more generally as a matter of luck. So sometimes some people do good, sometimes other people do good. The industry takes about 1% out of the pie yeah, in return to offering you this opportunity of maybe getting a better outcome, maybe getting a lesser outcome. So the whole nature of the game kind of constraints in, in, in a way. And it's one area where competition is not good. People always argue, well, you need more of our help to, to get a better outcome. But when you're doing that in the, in the, in the situation of a zero-sum game, there's really just more and more money being taken out of the pot uh, for no, uh, no good outcome. I think the the environment has changed. I first entered this industry in 1982 and can fully appreciate the environment that Dr. Bird is talking about. But since then, funds have become far more sophisticated. There are new investment vehicles in the market, uh, synthetic investments that help offset losses and allow funds to more intelligently react to volatility in the market. So I'm not saying there aren't losses and those losses will be felt by people, but it's a very different market now. And as Melissa has commented earlier, the markets have always recovered. So what might have reduced, as Melissa indicated, from 12,000 to 10,000 today um, I can't tell you when the market will recover, but I can tell you it will recover and those losses will be won back over time. And that will be a combination of the market simply recovering from this COVID-19 shock, as well as the use of investment tools that perhaps weren't available in the 70s and 80s. And uh, we've got six days until the applications for the federal government process officially open. So it's not an enormous time frame to, for people to reconsider their options. But do you think that that initial figure of 620,000 is going to be much smaller in reality? Because it's a very quick turnover for people to consider their entire financial lives in six days and, and make a rational decision as to whether this is the right option. But at the same time, as we've been mentioning, it's extraordinary times. I think the issue is that they don't, it's not six days. They've actually got to the 30th of June. So although the applications open on the 20th of April, you've obviously got to the 30th of June for the, the first $10,000 and then from the 1st of July next year to the 24th of September for the second. Look, and I suspect that, um, to your point, some people may uh, take it out this financial year because they do have a little less time and things are a bit more uncertain. And what we would hope to see is potentially in that um, second tranche, uh, sort of from 1 July, you may see the numbers decline a bit because people have... Um, become a bit more familiar and a bit more comfortable and understand what other options are available to them. So I suspect, yes, we will we will get at least 600,000 people, but I'm not, I don't know that all of those that have expressed interest will go through with it, but there will be other people who will step up and, and want to take that money. Yeah, I, I again agree. I think the numbers will vary, I think, in the post-1 July applications and 
we can only hope things have become a little more settled by then and, and perhaps the outcomes of the lockdown and the job losses become a little clearer to us. Perhaps some businesses, touch wood, will start to reopen and there won't be the need for people to draw down that second lot of $10,000. Again, there was a fairly quick reaction from people to take their money out and some funds got thousands and thousands of calls in the first day or two after the government made the announcement, um, not surprisingly. But once people sit back and consider things, I suspect the second tranche of people who withdraw money post 1 July may well be smaller than the pre-1 July withdrawals. And is it hard to convince consumers to not withdraw funds from their super accounts? I don't think that people are necessarily disillusioned with their super fund, but I think they will look at, in many cases, bills mounting um, that they're going to have trouble meeting. And again, most people don't have a large reserve of cash that they can meet ongoing commitments. So I don't think there's a great disillusionment with the super funds at this stage, but there is a concern about meeting day-to-day living costs. And that's why I think a lot of people, especially a a 25-year-old, will say, well, retirement is a long way away. I've got a lot of time to make up that $10,000 I take out now if they understand the the impact of compounding, I'll put that money in when I'm in a financially more secure situation. So I suspect that's what's going through a lot of people's heads right now. Uh, so talking to my members, and we represent the profit to member funds, so all the, the money they make goes back into member accounts. Certainly they've had a lot more engagement from their members and people are calling up and asking questions, but the overwhelming majority of them uh, feel comfortable and confident in the funds that they're investing in because they know that the funds are not only morally obliged but also are legally obliged to act in their best interests. And with um, profit to member funds, they don't pay money to external shareholders. All the money goes back into your account and so there's an additional level of trust that comes with that. So I think the additional scrutiny is is a good thing. I think it's important that people do pay attention uh, in good times and bad. And certainly the feedback from my members, so we represent 48 super funds, the overall feedback is that members are... Um, you know, while they're worried, they they are seeking reassurance and understanding that, as we've discussed before, that ultimately markets do recover. I think our biggest concern right now is that people understand why the markets have gone down, that they appreciate the markets will recover and that they don't make knee-jerk reactions to their investments. Uh, one of the, the worst things you can do when blue-chip shares are low is cash out of them and go to cash because it's almost guaranteed most of us will then miss the ride up when those shares recover. So this period, like other periods of extreme volatility in the market, you'd go back as far as the October 87 share market crash, do make people focus in on their superannuation. They do pay more attention. But what we're hoping in the doing that, they make rational, rational and sensible decisions. And that's why, if in doubt, we would always say, go and get advice and A lot of the super funds that Mel represents, the industry funds, have financial advisors embedded within the funds. People can ring up their fund and retail funds are exactly the same. 
and get a level of advice over the phone which just may assist them in making the right decisions. Dr Bird, there's a great deal of your academic research that is concerned with the inequalities that exist within this retirement system, and we've briefly touched on it already in the conversation. Um, now, here's a quote from you. You may recognise it as it's your own words, uh, but if the government really wanted to assist people in retirement, it would remove all tax concessions on compulsory super contributions and put the savings towards housing assistance for low-income households. So what are some of the current pitfalls in the industry that prevent an equitable retirement system for Australians? And do you think that super is an unnecessary financial burden for many people? Uh, well, uh, I mean, let's, do, let's cut the people, let's put, cut the population down to three groups of households. The lowest third of my income, the middle third and the top third. I mean, to the top third, uh, so, um, Super performs no useful purpose. Uh, the vast majority of them, over their lifetime, will, will save more than they consume. They will end up with a, uh, a, a self-made nest at the end, which will see them through their life. Now, there will be, you know, people can say deceptions. If something goes out uh, and just simply on fast cars, on expensive goods, uh, gambling and everything blows all that money. Even the wealthy can end up destitute. But, but but in general, they don't need it. The other is the poor people effectively can't afford it. Taking nine and a half percent out of their salary, in fact, takes it out of their consumption. I mean, they have no excess money in fact to, to spend on consumption. One outcome of that, by the way, is that they could, unless they get. Uh, they win tax dollar or something, they will never buy a home. We can see that the house ownership is falling dramatically over the, uh, and particularly over the poor people, just simply because they cannot accumulate a deposit to buy a home. Mm. Now, Melissa, one of the impacts of the government's super release plan is that scores of scams have suddenly come out of the woodwork. Now, we're obviously on the topic of people doing their due diligence when it comes to their super. So how vigilant should people be over the next few weeks and months as the super release package becomes more of a concrete process and potentially more scams attempt to capitalise on it? So I guess the first thing people need to know is that you don't need another person to help you do this process. It's very straightforward. Uh, individuals will apply directly to the ATO via MyGov. So if you have a MyGov account, you can uh, do it directly or you can set one up. So you don't actually need anybody to assist you to do it. It's a very simple question, series of questions they're going to ask. And if anybody calls you and says, oh, I can help you access your super or you're going to need help, then I would hang up. <laughs> and uh, if your fund ever did need to contact you, it would only be after you'd made an application. And if you're ever concerned or you think that the person may not be legitimate, um, I would just call the fund back on their advertised number on their website. So I, I certainly know our funds are not ringing people about this because the applications haven't opened. And as I say, if you do get a call, it's quite likely to be a scam. And not just for super, but JobKeeper. I know that people are ringing up pretending they're from Centrelink. Unfortunately, we've seen it before. At these times when people are financially vulnerable, the crooks get out and try to scam people and try to make it sound more complicated than it is. I will say that this process is going to be very straightforward.
And are there potential pitfalls in the process being very straightforward? Because if there aren't enough nets to catch those who may be ineligible, could it potentially be a problem? I think it's it's straightforward in the sense that you it's not complicated to apply, but you will be asked a series of questions. So the AT, one obviously getting a, a MyGov account is a is a fairly um, highly secure and strict process. So not too worried that people are going to to be able to get around that. But you will be asked a series of questions based on the eligibility. So you'll have to state that you meet one of the criteria, um, and of course, if a, a, there are penalties if you lie to the tax office. So going back to our earlier comments about the impact, the compounding impact of taking 10,000 out today, it could have a significant impact on how much they have at retirement. And that's why it's important to really consider drawing the money out and whether that is appropriate and then trying to make that loss up in a way, by putting extra money in once things get back to normal. Current super funds investments in Australian shares is about 35% of ASX total market cap. So it's quite a reasonable portion. Now, if funds continue to hold the same proportional asset allocations, this will rise to more than 60% in 2038 and will therefore dominate the ASX holdings. So what are some of the pitfalls, first of all, of the ASX being dominated by super funds? And besides the share market, what are some of the other industries that super funds tend to invest in? I tend to think of it, Max, more of a benefit that super funds will own or expected to be owned more than 60% of the ASX. This may give us greater diversity on boards of companies and greater accountability because super funds are used to being accountable to their members and knowing if they don't perform, their members have the ability to change funds and move elsewhere. So in our view, we see the increasing ownership of ASX-listed companies by super funds healthy. It will be something that companies will have to get used to because they'll now have to perhaps answer to a slightly different group of shareholders. But overall, we see it as a positive thing and one where not-for-profit funds, retail funds and listed companies will work hand-in-hand for both the best interests of shareholders as well as the members of those funds. And the industry is only going to get bigger. In fact, Deloitte's own research on old age dependency ratios found that over the next 20 years, uh, there's going to be a change in the ratio of retirees for each working Australian from 1 to 4 to 1 to 2.4. Now, what impact will this have on the industry? Because I can imagine there's going to be far more demand for retirement funding if more Australians are retiring. Yes, we certainly think this is the argument in favour of having a strong superannuation system and increasing the superannuation guarantee to 12%. For more and more people, they're going to live a lot longer in retirement and want to maintain a higher standard of living than perhaps our parents or our grandparents were willing to accept in retirement. They can do this through a number of ways, but the most obvious one is by having a sound superannuation balance of retirement. 
So going back to our earlier comments about the impact, the compounding impact of taking 10,000 out today, it could have a significant impact on how much they have at retirement. And that's why it's important to really consider drawing the money out and whether that is appropriate and then trying to make that loss up in a way by putting extra money in once things get back to normal. Superannuation, since the introduction of the super guarantee in the early 1990s, has been an increasingly important part of people's retirement savings. And we only see that as becoming more and more important as time goes on, especially as our children, our grandchildren are going to live longer and longer in retirement. Um, age expectancy for a f woman at age 65 is 87 and 84 for a male. It is increasing by a year every 10 years. That means in 40 years' time, that life expectancy for a female at age 65 will be approximately age 91 and for a male approximately age 88. It just means saving for retirement becomes increasingly important. To summarise our discussion, we'll consult our little crystal ball here, but where do we see the super industry in two years' time? The industry will stay as it is and just grow and grow and grow because no government will actually be willing to, in fact, make uh, the major changes which are necessary for uh, for, for um to get a more system. What we need is a system that's better geared to the need and one which is efficiently run, not one which we're in fact cost for such a huge you know, thirty billion plus a year. Uh, to run. Now that's that's a change that's just basic changes. We need to gear things more towards the poor and away from the rich. When you create such a big self interest group, um, it's very hard in fact to uh for the government to in fact step in and make any significant changes. When we spoke to a number of our members who had retired, a lot of them, uh, I think three out of five, said they found actually that retirement was more expensive than they thought and that they had wished that they had started a bit earlier. And I guess that's that, that great thing of the wisdom of um, the passage of time. If you could talk to your 25-year-old self, they, they may have put a little bit extra into super. And, and for those living on the pension alone, that's a really difficult, that's a difficult thing to do. And uh, ACOS actually assessed that it's below the poverty line and we had uh, your members say things like, you know, one of the few luxuries I've had in life was my football membership, but I can't afford that anymore. And nobody wants um, people who've worked hard all their lives to find themselves in a, a situation in retirement where they can't afford a footy club membership. So it's important to have something where you can to top up the government benefits. I see the super industry in two years' time having largely recovered from this um, period we're going through now, which is causing a huge amount of personal and financial pain to a large percentage of the Australian population. But I think the important message is the super industry is a well-managed and well-run industry overall. Monies are being held in trusts for individuals, so share prices may go down, but history has shown us that Good companies will recover from times like this. So I hope if we spoke, Max, in two years' time, this would be 
a memory, albeit a painful memory, but a memory and that the prosperity that we've enjoyed both in our broader economy and within the superannuation industry as far as members' balances are concerned has returned. And I'd, I'd support that. And I also think in in two years' time, hopefully, we've come out the other side. And what we'll see is that the funds will continue to do what they have been doing, and that's investing in the economy, um, investing in Australian businesses, investing in infrastructure. So things that actually support jobs for people. So really... Our super funds are really a key player in the recovery of Australia, both socially and economically after this pandemic passes. Well, there you have it. Maybe it's time to take stock before stuffing the family fortune into the mattress. Thank you to our guests, Professor Ron Bird, Russell Mason and Melissa Burks. Think Business Futures is produced with the assistance of the UTS Business School and make sure to catch the full show on your favourite podcast app. And don't forget to spread the good word of the show with your friends. I've been your host, Max Tillman. See you again next week.